0: We've always tried to be really a, helping kids technically and really being a technique-focused program. And I think we still do that, but also teach them how to be something, part of something larger than themselves. That
1: was recently retired Belmont Hill coach, Mike Grant. He's the guest on the Base Path Podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co-host Matt Feld. Today's guest is a longtime coach at Belmont Hill who recently retired after winning four ISL League championships over his 12-year career, including three straight from 2012 to 2014. Mike Grant is with us today. His win-loss record is an amazing 124-27 in ISL play. Coach, Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me on. Surprised you, you wanted me on. I'm I'm happy to come and talk.
1: Yeah, no, it's an exciting time of year. And it, you always hear when people retire that they're not going to miss the offseason. They're not going to miss the preparation. But then all of a sudden, once the first practice and the first game roll around, that's when they're really going to miss it. How are you feeling this year? your first as a retired Belmont Hill.
0: Yeah, you're spot on. As soon as I walked out by my office, my office at school's a little bit above the baseball field. So I had a chance boys were out there sort of having their first practice and it was, oh, you get that empty feeling in the gut because they're out there doing, doing what they love and you're not a part of it anymore. I'm still helping out kind of one, two days a week, but it's been a adjustment to, to say the least. Usually when you see March Madness on basketball, it's time to start throwing BP and start and get outside with the boys. So it definitely has been much harder. It hasn't really seemed real until, uh, till the last two weeks. What's been kind of a
2: this time of year baseball season starting you see everyone else out on the field how much is the urge still
0: there to to compete i guess oh my god it's i'm, I'm moving on to coaching my 10 year olds baseball team and i'm hoping i can turn the light switch off sort of with the competitiveness with them and because it's still very much there i i love coaching i love teaching the game this more evolved out of my job has changed a little bit over the years at belmont hill and sort of the duties on the other side of campus don't really align with getting out in the afternoon for three hours and then calling all the other coaches in the league, try to figure out who we got coming up and just not enough time in the day. So uh, yeah, the competitive fire's still there. I love it. I, I'm going to miss it terribly. So as, as, as they're out there, I got to keep having my rule that I'm going to be at least 50 yards from the field so I don't yell at umpires or bark at any of the kids when something goes wrong. It's amazing. You were at, a, at Belmont
1: Hill during a really formative time for New England prep baseball. You see now, we were just talking before we we went live here about all the trips. Most prep schools now are going down to Florida. I know Belmont Hill It wasn't doing that with you. You like to keep them up north, but it was a time where it just went from, it feels like now every single team has so many division one commits and the recruiting's gone crazy. Everybody's playing almost year round now. What was it like during your 12 year career to kind of see prep baseball take off that way?
0: Sure. I, I was fortunate. I kind of inherited a program in great shape from Coach Gallagher, my predecessor, but I think Guys like him and Ricky Forrester, who was at BBN at the time, Chris Margroff at Lawrence, Danny Donato at the, in those days was down at Salisbury. Historically, New England baseball is kind of what hockey kids did in the spring, and it wasn't really as well recruited. And it sort of exploded, sort of those 04, 05. Roxbury Latin had some great teams in those years. I think Thayer had a couple of draft picks come out. And all of a sudden, people really started playing, paying attention to prep baseball, and the kids started coming. So when I stepped in in 2011, it was just a wash of talent. I remember my first year in 2011. I think Lawrence had two draft picks on the mound. They went 15 and 0. And then we went back for our annual sort of rock fight, as we described it, with BBN, for our last game at the end of the year. It's just sort of a, a great battle each and every year. And we each had these D1 commits on the mound. I had a kid going to Wake Forest. I think his kid was going to Florida. It's 8 7 in the third inning with people just battling. The level of talent was so high. And it, it sort of exploded. I think it's great for the game. It's hard, but I think the challenge for teams now, Coach Cunningham, who's taken over from me, sat down last week. We we're just talking about his schedule. I think they're 25 games. They're going to face. 1920 college arms, 10-11 Division I pitchers. Like there's really no better place to prove yourself as a player, I think, than in New England prep baseball right now. There's just talent everywhere. In the days of sort of guys hiding and maybe sneaking to some of maybe the New England D- Division Three programs, when I was playing guys like Pete Varney or Coach Flaherty up at Southern Maine, they could find all these lost gems because people weren't recruiting this area in much the same way. Now, our kids are going everywhere. You see them on the rosters, on Pac-10 schools, in the Big East, and the ACC. They're sort of everywhere. So great place to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How have you seen kind of the, the
2: landscape of the game change overall beyond just from a college recruiting standpoint, but just what are some, what are some of the biggest differences that you notice towards the end of your coaching career compared to the start?
0: Sure. In my long, I mean, I, the 12 years in high school, I think the differences are, are probably marginal. A lot of the forces that I think were starting to change the game were kind of in play when I started. I, if I go all the way back to, I started out as a grad fellow at Amherst College, and then I did a stint at Northeastern for a while as their recruiting coordinator and some time with the with Commodores. I go all the way back to those days. It has changed measurably. I think the kids have never been more skilled and and probably never known more about the individual side of the game. They talk about things about their swing when they're in the eighth and ninth grade. It was stuff I learned in college. I think in, it felt like I was really well coached and had the benefit of some outstanding high school and legion coaches but these guys arrived knowing about swing path and knowing all (laughs) all sorts of about the mechanics of their pitching and how to improve that's really different they're they're probably the most well coached individually as a generation that i've ever seen i do think on the flip side at cost like they they focused almost exclusively on the individual and sort of a baseball has been how do i use my individual talent to get somewhere and uh, the college conversation starts in my mind far too early with a lot of these guys. So I, I do think it's the task for coaching, particularly in the last five or six years has become a lot of sort of, we've always tried to be really a, helping kids technically and really being a technique focused program. And I think we still do that, but also teaching them how to be something part of something larger than themselves. Like there, so much of what they've done has been about me and teaching them how to be a part of a we and how to be part of a culture that's kind of bigger than you and sacrifice yourself a little bit. That's been a change I think for kids just because it's it's been a really different experience for them.
1: Do you think people are setting like, when you say it's all about me, it sounds like it's guys playing in showcases in the summer and they're not so worried if the team wins or not. And it's, I want to make sure I get my stats or I perform here in front of the scouts. Do you think now everybody has these expectations that I'm going to go D1 and that's, that's a path that's realistic for everyone? Do you think the the actual expectations have gotten a little unrealistic?
0: Yeah, possibly. But I don't think kids are by nature any more selfish or anything. I just think so much of what they do is focused on the individual. So they kind of, they learn that over time. It's how many swings am I getting in the cages? And what am I working Mm -hmm. on this this individual part of the game? And so many of their teams, I think they spend exclusively sort of times in cages and on bullpens and the team concept, it's just not focused on as much. So they culturally over time you really focus on yourself one of the byproducts i think for kids though is it i don't know if it's as much fun you kind of look back i think those teams in 0304 or even when i was growing up you played because you loved it and i'm sure these guys love it and they they love working at the game but sort of that camaraderie that comes with sort of getting after it together on a summer team has been i think lost a little bit And it's a little bit a lot of what we focus on sort of the culture of the locker room kind of built together as far as expectations The harder part for kids today, I think there's such a rush to kind of sort kids into categories and and put them in places and kind of figure out, all right, he's the best 14 year old in the state or in in the nation. And gosh, until everybody hits puberty, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) And the kids, I think, just pay far too much attention to what Twitter feeds look like as opposed to, do I love playing the game? Am I developing well? And then at some point, everybody's 17, 16 years old and everybody's physically in the same place. You can kind of sort out who's going to be capable of playing a division one level or division three level. I just, there's a pressure attached to it that I don't love, to be honest. I mean, if if you're out there playing the game with your buddies and you adore playing and working at the game, it's going to work out one way or the other, and it's going to be a choice you you ultimately don't control. It's it's how coaches perceive you, sort of beauties, say to the boys all the time, "Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Somebody may absolutely love your game and, you know, that's the place you're going to end up. Somebody may not. You know, I think finding places where you can continue to develop and grow, but then knowing that those defi- decisions ultimately aren't within your control and kind of focusing on what you can do that day, what what you can do with that pitch, and what we can do together, kind of alleviate some of that tendencies and alleviate some of that external pressure. Because it is real. It's just a different a di- different part of growing up, I think, than, gosh, I know that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Not that old, but it is different. You, si- you said you said spent some time with the Falmouth Commodores, with Jeff Trundy down, yeah.
2: down in the Cape over the summer. I was going to ask, I mean, they always had, Jeff always had really good teams. But the Cape League is... Pretty individualized. I mean, right. I mean, the, obviously you guys are all, all the kids are playing for the same team, but the kids are there to get scouted show sure. and try and play at the next level. With all due respect, I spent three summers on the Cape. Kids really don't care whether they win or lose sure. the game. Right. I mean, they're trying, again, they're trying to elevate their performance. What type of adjustment was that like for you as a coach in terms of an environment where maybe you've, we so used to kind of instilling a culture or trying to instill a culture, help build a foundation that was centered around winning as opposed to going down to the Cape. And all of a sudden it's very individualized.
0: Yeah, And that's always the central tension in our game. What's. It's an individual game. It is. There's no getting around the way this in which baseball is individual, from a pitcher on a mound to a guy at the plate. And I think the those were some of my formative years in coaching. Gosh, I'm going back 0203, but long before I was a head coach. And I had the good fortune of working with a number of really great head coaches: Neil McPhee over at the Northeastern, and Matt New now at Babson, Bill Thurston way back in the day at Amherst, and all these folks. And then with Jeff Trundy down in Falmouth, just learned from different people in different ways. What I always took from Trundy though, even in a place whereby people come to the Cape League for the individual showcase, there's no doubt about it. And you're down there, whether you're trying to be seen and trying to make a name for yourself or on the flip side, you've already, draft just happened. You're down there for three weeks. You're trying to make a little bit of money. I always remember Trundy, he would open the opening meeting every single year. He'd bring all the guys together and he'd sit them down and say, I've been in this league a long time. I've coached at a lot of levels. The guys that come down here and solely focus on their own experience, they always struggle. He's like, you, you can just be a second round draft pick trying to come down here and make a seven figure bonus. I'm telling you right now, if you play to win baseball games and if you play because you enjoy the others around you, you're going to play better. And he was always right. And it was always some kid from like Eastern Illinois who came down to like being able to have a great clubhouse experience and swing the bat well, who'd our team and hitting, making the names for himself and eventually getting signed. And half the time it was a kid from insert ACC program or whatever who knew he was there for one really specific purpose and the kind of, I don't know, he'd show up for his individual workout, have his own BP pitcher. He always struggled. It's like, there's so much pressure on it. You need, I think baseball is a game that's so individualized. If you don't play it, knowing that there's 20 guys in a dugout that are there for you when it's, or when it's bad, it just gets that much harder. You got to have faith that like you're on the mound and you give up a bomb and you give your team goes down by four that eight guys in the dugout are rallying and saying, all right my guy just went down it's time for me to step up and take care of him because he's going to do the same for me when we're getting no hit he's going to come out and say all right I got to put up goose eggs in order for my guy to protect him and if you can kind of get that mentality of playing for other people and build that culture even in a really individual sport I just think the end product everybody kind of the rising tide pulls all the boats up yeah that reminds me last well, summer Dan, hold on a sorry oh, yeah. to
2: interrupt coach can you just scooch a little closer yeah. <laughs> to the mic please
0: sorry Dan start that question again Please. No yeah. short i gotta make sure i can see over this <laughs>
1: yeah that reminds me of matt shaw last summer he was a worcester academy guy but he was uh, with the born braves and they ended up winning the cape league championship and just at the end of the year you're looking at his stats and he cape league mvp he hit like 350 for the summer and now he's a first round he's getting ranked as a first round guy i think you're right if you focus on the team aspect everything else kind of happens for you if you have that kind of talent i do want to talk to you about the isl i know um you're about as Connected as you could be, coming off coaching for twelve years, and you know, all the other coaches, and you're still working with Belmont Hill. One thing that came up this off season that we reported on a little bit, what just coaches' opinions of, is the no ISL tournament. And they tried it with lacrosse last year; it seemed to work pretty well. Where do you stand on that, and do you see it as something that's going to be happening in the future?
0: Oh, uh, the prediction of if it happens, who knows? The uh, yeah, fascinating part of the ISLs. is, it's, at the end of the day, all rule changes have to go by the heads, and we're pretty. There's a bunch of different schools in the league from large boarding schools to small boarding schools, to day schools, boy schools. I think it's hard to get everybody on the same page, particularly around if you view athletics differently, I think at Belmont Hill, we sort of see it as very central to young man's experience and sort of that teacher coach model and seeing people in and out of the classroom. I will not to go off too much on a tangent, but that might be very different than another place and how, how they view it. So I, I, if it ever happens and I'm not sure, I, I do think. What's good about the current system is you play a 14 game tournament. It's like it's really hard to win the league with more than two losses. And it's based the nature of baseball. You're gonna have a bad day. You're gonna go out there and have a C game. And by nature of a couple bad hops or a horrible chem test before you you walked out there, you you may put one up there that you're not proud of. And so it's hard in that it's a really an eight week tournament where you go out in the current system, which I like. I think over the eight weeks, the best team generally does rise to the top. I thought Lawrence was best team in our league last year. We tried to tried to catch them as hard as we could, but ultimately I think they were a little better than us, even if we beat them head to head. So I I do think that marathon does ferret out the the, the top the top team. On the flip side though, uh, for our kids to enter into college, never having played in a competitive tournament, to know what it's like to be 2-2 in the fifth with bases loaded and have to execute your pitch on the corner in order to keep your team in it, or, or even to go out there on three days rest and like say, yeah, I threw 110 on or 95 pitchers, whatever. On Thursday, I'm coming back out on Sunday to try to close the door for two innings i think that sort of experience is something our boys and our players really should have at some point the mechanics of it is where it all kind of gets gets sticky i think it's hard to do boarding schools leave earlier than the day schools are, are just our school academic year lasts like two weeks longer so we can play games much longer whereas boarding school is going to be all done the week before memorial day so figuring out when the tournament happens sort of how it happens how you qualify and all that it, every conversation we had kind of gets gummed up there for me it's just let's just have an unbalanced schedule or maybe play some double headers get the games in early and then that weekend before have at it have a great 16 tournament but the mechanics are interesting because right now in the isl if you have two three arms three arms really can win you the league go to an 18 tournament you better have a staff like you're you're not getting through with three arms anymore so i think the choices they make and kind of how that changes who ends up winning the league and how you build your roster and what's important will uh, will be interesting to watch i do think. I mean, if people can just stop being stubborn, we'll we'll get there somehow.
3: Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, II, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.
2: How can right now, based on the way that it's not just a prep schools, but the MI season schedules lined up where the seasons call it nine weeks long, just between the middle of March or second week of March and the end Memorial Day, how do coaches, how is it even possible to focus on a kid's development? I mean, it seems like it's near and it, it seems impossible. I've talked to coaches who think it is impossible. Because the season starts, games start, and that's it. Season's over, and you're on to the next one. You can't interact in most cases with your student athletes in the off season when it comes to when it comes to instruction. So, how is it? How can coaches, high school coaches, even make their kids better from an individual developmental standpoint based on the time
0: frame that they have? Sure, I do. I mean, you have a point. Like, I do think you have to partner with them in the off season in ways that probably is is different. And partner with their most of them are hitting with their summer programs all summer or in their fall ball. And be it, we're just working on guys. You can have a meeting on Friday afternoon. Hey man, your bat path has kind of been pretty brutal. Let's see what are the drills we're going to be working on all off season. And being able to have that sort of constant conversation is one way. But the other part though is you still get, we play the max schedule. I think 26 games or 25 games what it is. And even within that, you got Monday, Tuesday, Thursday for practices. And you kind of get a choice as a coach. You can roll the balls out and take BP and have a few laughs or you, you can kind of get after it. And our theory was always. I think our players would say, I'm a real jerk in practice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think anybody likes playing for me on those, those or like playing for me past tense on those three days. Cause yeah, we're going to go out and take 150, 200 ground balls and, and we're going to get after as we do. And if we're going to be lazy about it, you're going to hear about it. I think programs that really want to do that sort of player development, they're going to put the time in on the individual level or we're going to get in the cage for yeah, Monday, Tuesday, you are going to take 75, 80 swings. We're going to get it on video and then we're going to break it down and see where you are. I think there's been programs around here who have done a really good job on the developmental side by prioritizing that but you know it is only eight weeks and it's it's kind of figuring out what guys faults are i think we get so based in outcomes in baseball the challenge is over eight weeks you get a bad two and a half weeks which is reality you're probably not going to hit 500 you got to be able to help get sort of work through those challenges of a bad start and see the sort of larger prize at the end and get them back right but so for us i i do think you got eight weeks. You do what you can do, but you really got to focus on it sort of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. We don't have to, I don't know, have 9,000 bunt defenses, do two really well, and then get to playing the game.
1: It's. A, it seems like a year where it's kind of been a changing of the guard for all these like legendary coaches in the not only the ISL, but just prep baseball in New England. Academy has a new coach this year after Rick Forrester left. Belmont Hill, obviously, after you left. Kevin Graber is gone at Phillips Andover. Who do you see, which teams do you see as kind of the teams
0: to beat now, at least in the SL? I think it's going to be a fascinating year, and not just because of coaches' changes, to be honest. I think Belmont Hill goes to a sort of 2.0 in that regard. Dave Cunningham played for me and then was a star in the ISL himself back in, gosh, I think he led the league in hitting back in 2011, had a great career at Amherst, Has coached everywhere, and I think knows this generation of players in ways that, quite honestly, I probably didn't the last couple of years, him was great at pulling me aside and Coach, may need to reformat a little bit of how you, uh, how you say that or how we direct that. So in that way, I think in a, a lot of cases, going from strength to strength or strengths are even stronger on the coaching side. In the ISL, I'm just sort of amazed by the pitching depth. It There's so many teams with great arms and who kind of comes out of it in the end is going to be fascinating to watch sort of who stays healthy. But if you kind of go down the list, there's tons of vision one arms and there, there's, there's folks with two college pitchers on their staffs, probably had the fifth or sixth best staff in the ISL. Right? Lawrence won it last year. They got great guys back. They got the kid going to Duke Payone, I think he is. Payone, yeah. yeah. Who's really good. Morris can throw. Like, and, and Coach Margraf has always done a great job. He's been there, gosh, from the beginning and kind of has seen the ascent over the years and their team year in, year out. They're always in the thick of it. Kind of sneaky Govs, I think is going to be excellent. The Heaney kid is tough. We saw him early last year and he, he's as good a lefty as there is in New England. And then we didn't see him, but the Oliveri kid is really good as well. Yeah, I don't know if there's a better one to sort of in, in the ISL or maybe even New England, those two are going to go out and they're going to, I mean, Haney goes out and punches out 11, you know, catch three fly balls and field a few ground balls and you're kind of home. There's, there's not a ton of defense you got to play with somebody like that on the mound. So they're going to be tough. Sebs' front three, I mean, they got three division one arms that they're rolling out there and, and they all pound the zone with really hard sinking stuff, good off speed stuff they I, I would assume just with with those three arms will be really tough to beat like i obviously love my guys and uh mm-hmm. i know they're going to compete like hell and they got some good guys there coming back a lot of the roster back and i'm sure we'll put up a fight but there's i mean that's just the front three arms and you get into coach Pethrick's team down in milton whose team's always well prepared and he's got the waterman kid and gallagher they're good there's got the kid going to michigan i'm blanking on his name who's back this year charlie Denemy, I think it was. Denemy, yeah. Yeah. He's and who's the kid at Tabor, Taylor. You kind of like I said, Dave and I were walking through his his schedule. You throw in the non league games because he opens up with got Deerfield with a McHugh kid going to Harvard. Right. Then you get Bridgeton, and always will have a PG going somewhere. You get Worcester Academy without a without a league game the next day. You'll see one of those three outstanding arms. And you open up probably with Thayer and the kid going to Michigan and get Taylor the next week probably Thomas White the following Friday. It's going to be like week three before they see anybody throwing below 88. There's just a ton out there. That's amazing.
2: How do you kind of size up I guess the battle for lack of a better term, it's kind of gone on between the public and the MIA and the prep schools, particularly since COVID, right? I mean, I feel like certainly because kids lost a year of education, there a lot of families are trying to get that year back. And so there's been an increase in terms of demand for reclassification amongst student athletes, particularly on the baseball side of things, because they also missed that spring season back in 2020. What's your overall perspective right now? And what's the advice that you usually give to, to student athletes who are thinking about reclassifying?
0: It's a great question. I think reclass works for certain kids, and I, I think it's best for you. Got to assess where you are academically, what your long term goals are, but also like where your physical development is. Like, yeah, if you're a 16 year old or 17 year old who still weighs 130 pounds, like your age may say you're one thing, but your physical development says you're still more like a freshman. And in that way, like the, the reclass year can really change your college prospects. Can change your entire experience. We had a kid. I'm going back a number of years for us who reclassed and when he was a freshman gosh he was like five foot six barely broke a pane of glass and by the time he was a senior with the reclass he i don't know he's six three left-handed lost the 90 and ends up getting drafted by the nets out of princeton and was outstanding there are those cases where the physical development hasn't quite matched and that's where be a reclass year or a pg year there's some great schools out there like deerfield and avon old farms and loomis and Andover. like you, know, you can go through your senior year have that great public school experience and then do a PG year. You can come repeat with us. I think for kids, it's just making sure you're clear your goals are because the academic piece is real as well. Like if I think COVID was really hard on a lot of kids academically and staring at screens all day, wasn't conducive to everybody's best learning environment. And if you got to get some better grades on your transcript to help you get where you want to go and kind of figure it out, then you know reclass can be a great thing in your development, but it's not, it's not for everybody. I, I do think there are at the prep school level, like, yeah, I've we will face or Belmont Hill will face a legion of good arms and there's no better way to test how good you are as a player. But on the flip side, you got to wait. Like there's kids, we have freshmen who would probably start for their local high school that, yeah, you're sitting behind a 50% scholarship kid and you're not going to play until you're a sophomore or junior. That's just the reality. If you stay at, I went to a tiny little, little high school out in Central Mass, those kids probably play right away and play really well. So I, I think you got to be clear about where you're going, what you want to get out of it, and whether it's the right investment for you. If you're doing it, just to get another crack at the recruiting process and you're fully developed and look, that, that extra five miles an hour, it's probably not coming. Like you got to figure out exactly, be really honest with yourself and be honest, with what kind of experience? Like I, my worry, my concern with it all is, and it's about, I, I think my concern in general, I think with prep school sports is that some of it's become so transactional. And it's sort of, hey, come here. We'll get you to this place. And that's, a lot of coaches I respect in league myself, it's not why you get into the business. Like you want to be transformational. It's like, you want to come in this program, learn how to be be a better teammate, be a better leader. Like to leave with some skills that are going to make you great people at the end of the day. And if you kind of come into it with that transactional attitude. Hey, I'm going to go to this school. They're going to help me get this D1 offer and I'm out of here. Then I don't know. I think those programs and I think your experience, you kind of reap what you sow. If you're you're getting into it to say, I'm gonna be part of a culture or I'm gonna try to learn how to be a better person. I'm gonna learn how to sort how to compete when things are down. I'm gonna learn how to support others. If you're in it for that whole experience, I think you can get a ton, particularly at who you are as a person and academically. As far as like the public v private, there's just there's different routes that work. I'm a public school kid from Central Mass. I wouldn't trade my high school experience for anything. Loved the people I played for, the kids I played with. Were there a lot of college baseball players on my team? No. (laughs) I think there was two of us and and we both played at small New England New England schools. So like but was it great and a perfect path for me to develop? Yeah. And that path works too. Does the path at Belmont Hill kind of get more eyes on you? Absolutely. It's not perfect for everybody.
1: It's funny to hear you talk about culture building because there's so many great coaches around in the ISL who, are, who specialize in that, just really developing the player and the person. But then you hear, we've had some ISL coaches on the podcast and they just talk about this. Once the game starts, it is so competitive. The coaches are so competitive. The players are so competitive. And we've heard some funny stories of where ways in which that competitiveness comes out on the diamond. Do you have any memories over the last twelve years where you're just like, man, this is this competitiveness has gotten better of everybody here?
0: Oh, God bless! But uh, hopefully you haven't had too many coaches on because I'll be the <laughs> butt of most jokes. I'm like, uh, everybody on campus always can't believe that the guy that coaches the baseball team is also sort of the assistant head of school because we're different people. And in <laughs> most of those cases, where it's I hate losing so much, and I just the competitive me, competitive side of me, in and in, four or five occasions resulted in me having to buy a buy an, an adult beverage a thank you or sorry for acting like a jerk again with <laughs> a, a couple of coaches within the isl who are great people yeah I, what i love about the isl coaching body though is most people they're in it to win it like and they get it between the lines get pretty fired up and you, you really want it to happen and it is about player development and ultimately i think it's about the kids competing and if coaches i i sort of grew up playing for and i think the coaches that i I worked for early in my career just sort of drilled down and you like baseball is a game that's supposed to be played a certain way and there's not much for so many of the old school rules but at the end of the day you're out there competing trying to prove you're better than somebody else and that's the essence of sports that's what makes it great you stare out at the pitcher and i'm gonna prove them better than you doesn't matter how hard you throw i'm gonna line it right back past you you know I, i think that part and if kids are in an era where kids aren't always into stuff and it's really easy to be apathetic if our kids are jumping around and yelling and screaming God bless. I think that's fantastic. Where I think it, I tend to think adults ruin everything. And I think when the adults sort of start to make it more about them or their own competitiveness is when you you start to get into, get into dire straits. But yes, I have jumped over the line more than a few times. The times I don't regret is protecting my players because I do love them all and uh, kind of treat them as if they were my own kids and uh, places where I think they're wronged. Probably got the, uh, the bad side of my competitiveness. (laughs) My foul language can swear like a sailor as umpires sometimes learn a few opposing coaches, but there's other times where I was just a couple times at that end of the year BBN game where I'd love to have those moments back and just shut my Irish mouth and stop gabbing. But that does happen.
2: Yeah, I bet. What's the biggest, um, I don't know if advice is the right word, but maybe the biggest disconnect or discrepancy you see right now amongst youth coaches that you'd like to see resolved or fix if you had advice, I guess, for younger coaches or even new high school coaches. What's something that you would kind of express onto them that maybe you wished you knew when you start when you were starting out? Oh,
0: uh, a good question hard got staring at the timer seeing mm-hmm. how long i got to think about it uh, <laughs> coach of belmont hill uh kind of pounded this into me recently a person who played at sort of the highest levels of different sport and that at the end of the day kids are going to mostly remember how they feel and i think that culture building how you treat people and how you get them to that idea of helping them be the best version of themselves is ultimately what's most important i love winning and I think all coaches do. And you love hanging banners. And at the end of the day, you love bringing the team together at the end and saying, we accomplished something. But if you can kind of see the task as for them to become better versions of themselves and for going out there and making better men, I think the game changes a little bit. It took me a while to learn it. It took me a while to learn that ultimately, while I pay, play a role, it's not really, it is wins and losses and you're the head coach and you quote it off the record, but at the end of the day, it's really about the kids and it's really about their experience and the 2023 version of Dumb Hill baseball and what those players make it. And you got a part of it, but you're just a part. It's really what those kids do. I think early in my career, I was so dead set on sort of proving myself that at times you made it a little bit too much about yourself, a little bit too much about what's my achievement and what's it look like. But at the end of the day, the group does and it's really what the players do you
1: had mentioned so you have a pretty impressive background in just in coaching northeastern recruiting coordinator with the Falmouth Commodores on the Cape League obviously wildly successful at Belmont Hill for 12 years do you think and you had mentioned before the podcast that you're coaching your kids now and you at the tenure level do you think you're done being a head coach at either prep college Cape League
0: any of those all of those levels I don't know like it it, 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 was a really hard decision to be honest, like a, in part of it was about my job at school and, but also I think I saw my ten year old or then nine-year-old play once last year and he loves the game. It's something It's this short time in life where we get to share it together. And I've got a 14-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, and they both play a ton of hockey and lacrosse and soccer and kind of feel like it's that time in my life where if I can see them play and be around them and drive them to games, that's important. But I also know that's a, that's a short time in life and who knows sort of career-wise what, what happens on my other side of campus. I do love it and I think I'd, if I could and come back to it later, would go at it with a different perspective. So I wouldn't rule it out. I'm, I'm hopeful at some point to come back in a more active role as an assistant. I'm still helping Dave out, developing the infielders, still working with our, our middle school infielders too and doing some of the college placement stuff. So I definitely wouldn't rule it out. I'd love to love the game too much. I, I was out there just last week. I didn't go to the first two practices, went to the third one and uh, Doc, who's our, our pitching coach has been there wherever he's like, God, you just look happy. I was like, eh, eh there's a lot of happiness out here when I do it. So... But I had the 10-year-olds up in the batting cages last week. That was fun too.
1: I got to put you on the spot before we let you go. We do the coaches poll every year, which you probably <laughs> filled out over the last oh. five, 10 years. Who would you have in your top three if you were filling
0: out a coaches poll? Oh man, uh, outside the ISL too? Yeah. So it's all New England schools yeah. when we do it. Yep. Oh, I try to be honest every year. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's hard, gosh. I would, uh, excluding Belmont Hill, because obviously I love my boys and I, I think they're going to be really good this year. But Winchendon's outstanding. When, when Toff rolls out his, his top group, they're going to be tough to beat. They're, they just have arms and players kind of at, at every position. They should be excellent. Uh, I do think Lawrence coming out of the ISL once again this year will will be excellent. Coach Margraf does a great job with that team. He's got a lot of guys back and coming. So I, I go Winchendon Lawrence. Oh, I feel like I always overlook those Connecticut schools, and there's tons of talent down there. I got a buddy who coaches at Avon, who they were, they have arm after arm after arm. I mean, he's always after me to say, "How can you guys don't pay more attention to us? Because they're good." But Thomas White, Annover, they, they they got a staff, and that catcher's outstanding. Like they they've got to be, I would think, in the top three or four this year as well. Yeah, I'm also thinking of like Dexter's going to be really good. Coach Donato's got three or four guys who can really play. So. It's pretty deep around here and i didn't even mention the team that i thought might be best in the isl govs with with those two arms so i know that is a top five with hopefully belmont hill beating them all
2: there you
1: go <laughs> well coach thank you so much for coming in and joining us and looking forward to following the isl this year thanks thanks for having me coach thank you thanks to coach michael grant for joining us on the base path podcast rate review subscribe to the base path podcast on your preferred platform Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.